Somebody call 911! Show me the They have no idea where we are, who we are, where we're coming from, or who we're throwing to. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's going to make the between winning and losing. Welcome to First and 30. I'm Nick. And I'm Antonino. We're two 30-something-year-old guys who take the best ultimate reality television show in this hemisphere, American football, through four uncensored downs of mostly unbiased opinion and some analysis. In a game broken down into 10-yard segments, we take it with you one step at a time. That's first and 30. Let's Let's go go for it. it. Welcome to the First and 30 Podcast. Today is Tuesday, December 12th, episode 5 of First and 30. Antonino, it was another great weekend of football. What were your thoughts and feelings before we hop into our four downs? What, what were your takeaways this weekend? Nick, can you hear that? Those are dogs barking because there was eight underdog victories this week, the most in any NFL season this year. Oh, that is pretty. Yeah, no. Now that you mention it, I do hear the dogs barking. Uh, specifically, it's actually an Arctic fox barking over here in, in my corner. For those of you who are not aware, I'm the commissioner of our Naptown Dirty Dozen Fantasy Football League. Antonino joined the league this season with his Cincy Jungle. And I have to say, Antonino, you've had a great run so far. He was the top seed heading into our playoffs. I was in a must-win game this weekend against Antonino. My team was an underdog. If I lost it, I was eliminated from playoff contention. But guess what? Those Arctic Foxes came up clutch. So I do hear those dogs barking, and that's what? Two times you've lost to these foxes over here. <laughs> Ooh, it's a harsh reality, but I'll take the playoff bye week nonetheless. Yeah, congrats. Good mm-hmm. luck to you on that. But how about we hop right into it, man? First down, high hopes. I hope, I hope, it's home from work we go. We're going to go through and discuss the best thing we saw this Sunday. I know you're going to be a little apprehensive with this topic, but for all of our Ravens fans listening, and I know we have a, a growing Ravens fan listenership, given that we're located close to Baltimore and we're friends with a lot of Baltimore supporters, but we have to give credit where credit's due. The Ravens walk off punt return for a touchdown in overtime against the Rams. They win the game 37-31, right? 37-31. Backup. Punt returner, Tylen Wallace, returns that game winner. It's a 76-yard punt return for a touchdown in overtime. It was his first time returning punts in his career. What were your thoughts, Antonino, on the Ravens and their big win against the Rams in overtime? Were you impressed? You're trying to make me sick on a Tuesday, huh? (laughs) It was was not my favorite thing to watch, but Hmm. uh, it, it did have some highs and lows. Um definitely think that uh i'm still not a believer in the ravens really you're still not going to give them their props so they're 10 and 3 the the ravens are 10 and 3 they now have a 
full game lead over the Dolphins because the Dolphins lost last night to the Titans, which was a big upset, kind of touching on what you were alluding to at the intro here. But what what aren't you convinced by, besides the fact that you're a diehard Bengals fan and naturally born Ravens hater? Minor detail, but... uh... (laughs) I think everyone talks about the Ravens and they say they have such a good defense. The Ravens, oh, stout defense, tough to beat at home. What I'm saying, the last two home games, they've given up 31 points each, once to the Browns with Deshaun Watson and now against the Rams yesterday in a rainy atmosphere, which should help the defense. But two straight home games given up over 30-something points when they might have a home game in the playoffs possibly a bye week if they get the first seed. But I don't know. I'm not feeling confident if I'm a Ravens fan after giving up 30 points two straight times at home, and then you expect to have different results come playoff time against better competition. I I hear you. And I think a few weeks ago when we were talking about Baltimore, I was throwing out a bunch of stats about how good their defense is, which I still believe is one of the top five best defenses in the NFL. Statistically, they're number one, number two in most categories. However. Something that you texted me on Sunday that I I was appalled by because this narrative continues to persist with this individual's career. But Lamar Jackson balled out in the rain. He threw for over 300 yards, 316 to be exact. He also rushed for 70 yards and threw for three passing touchdowns. Yet, despite this phenomenal performance in the rain, like you mentioned, you still went out there and said that he is nothing but a running back. This is laughable. I'm, I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm tired of hearing all of the Ravens haters out there continuing. Ravens fans themselves, too, continue to throw shade at Lamar Jackson as a quarterback. What is the justification? What is your rationale and reason? Because I'm not buying it. 300 I, yards, man. What, what's your evidence here? I, I really just think it's not sustainable. I think Lamar Jackson, he is multidimensional. Don't get me wrong. Great player. But when you're okay, it's the year of the backup quarterback for one. And they got some guts running this guy 11 times. They're just asking for it. I know he's a running back playing quarterback, but come on, you can't rush your most prized possession 11 times and expect to do that every week with no injuries for a 17 week season. Look, he's their X factor. His play is going to take Baltimore as far as they can go. The defense is obviously a strong point that they can lean on, but in games like what we saw on Sunday against the Rams, it will come down to Lamar perhaps having to throw it and perhaps having to rush it a bunch to to get them into those games. One one other storyline in this one uh, I want to mention before we move on to second down was OBJ. This was a revenge game for him. Uh, He was with the Rams on that Super Bowl team but he had four catches for 97 yards and a touchdown, including that that big 46-yarder in that game on t- 10 targets. So strong performance by OBJ. So if Lamar is having weapons like that showing up for him in the playoffs, the Ravens are the team to beat in the AFC. No doubt about it right now, especially after the way we saw the Dolphins perform Monday night. Now that you mentioned the Dolphins, we'll be able to see firsthand when the Ravens play the Dolphins here in, I believe, two or three weeks. They have the Jags coming up, then Mm -hmm. San Francisco. Everyone circled that one. 
That's a huge test on the road. And then they have the Dolphins after that in three weeks. And then they end the season against Pittsburgh, a division rival, which you never know what can happen in division games. So after those games, I might be a believer. Uh, we'll let the, the the play on the field do the talking. All right. Well, with that, I think it's time we move on to second down. We gave the Ravens their their call out here this week. We gave them the platform. We were impressed. You, maybe not so much, Hater. But second down, they are who we thought they were. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. So we wanted to have an opportunity to talk about Zach Wilson. And in order to do that, we need to talk first about the Jets' defense, holding the Texans to just six points. Then we'll kind of segue into Zach Wilson. But what did you see from the Jets' defense in this performance against Houston on Sunday? I know today's a beautiful day for all the gang green fans out there. Um, that was a beautiful performance, one that they haven't had all year. Uh, being able to win by double digits, what, they won 30 to 6? Jeez, you don't get that too often in the Meadowlands. But there's definitely a role reversal going on with the quarterback play. Um, but I think what it all came down to was I put the jinx on C.J. Stroud last week. That is absolutely what happened. I said he was the MVP, and clearly that must have meant most vulnerable player. So I apologize to C.J. Stroud that I, I jinxed him. We're going to have to do a cutaway there of exactly verbatim, word for word, what you said last week, because you did. You said he was your MVP favorite. I have a top one. I have a top okay. one candidate for MVP. I'm going to go against the grain here. We all know the great players on the great teams. I'm going with C.J. Stroud. If we're going to talk most, <laughs> most valuable player. So he is the most valuable player on that team. And without wow. him, that team is nothing. Well, the Jets' stingy defense held Stroud to under 100 yards passing. Not only that, Antonino, they held the Texans to a 1 out of 12 on third down conversion. So Texans only converted once on their 12 attempts on third down. They only gave up 135 total yards. That's 2.6 yards per play. Not only that, if you look back to last week, they held the Falcons to under 3.1 yards per, per play. They've done this now on three separate occasions, back-to-back -back weeks. Only 13 other times was this the case this season. So the Jets' defense, bottom line, has been balling out here, especially of late. But you know who else balled out? Zach Wilson. So are you convinced, Antonino, is Zach Wilson, did he just save his job with the Jets? Do you think he's their answer? Or was this just basically a showcase game for him and gave the Jets an opportunity to try to sell the guy high hopefully next year while uh, they're putting all their chips in the basket for Aaron Rodgers? I'm a big believer in Zach Wilson. I think he was just in the wrong situation all year. And now he's actually looking confident. This past week, he looked confident. He was even making plays running the ball. Um, I don't know. It could have been that C.J. Stroud and Zach Wilson ch exchanged jerseys before the game, and maybe it was a different player playing for the Jets. That's interesting. Almost for Houston, because with one minute left in the third quarter, Houston Texans, as a team, had one 
passing yard. That's something we see wow. with Zach Wilson and the Jets yeah. on a weekly basis here, no matter who the quarterback is really, but complete role reversal. I'm on the Zach Wilson bandwagon. If he had played maybe one of those two games where they tried the backups, maybe they pull one of those out and they're in the playoff race, but I think they screwed the pooch and now it's too late and they're going to have to live with it, live with the the bed that they made. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, Quick to impress, man. Did did you forget about the the previous what ten games that he played this season? Yes, I will give him credit. He completed seventy five percent of his passes for over three hundred yards, two touchdowns. By far, his best game of the season. Perhaps contending with the best game of his career. Mm-hmm. Do we already forget about the controversy that surfaced this past week? There was a article posted by the Athletic stating that Zach Wilson was reluctant and almost denied taking back the starting role because of apprehension that, I don't know, soft ego perhaps. But he did later deny that report. I I truthfully think that this was nothing more than a blip on the radar showcase game for Mr. Wilson. Jets fans, I'm sure, are just hoping that this guy is gone next season. He's been nothing but a headache for them. He has got the talent. We saw it. He has the arm strength. But sometimes when it, especially when it comes to quarterback, you need to have what it takes right there between the shoulders, right there in the the forehead, man. I think part of the problem is the coaching, specifically the offensive coordinating uh, coach. Um, He was brought here just to be with Aaron Rodgers, uh, to tailor the offense to his needs. Now that Zach Wilson's in there, things have changed up. And I think they were playing too passive, too conservative. Now that the season is out of control, they don't have any playoff plans. They stick him back in there and they said, you know what? We're just going to let you wing it and do whatever you want. And I have one stat to back this up that no one listening is going to believe. Okay. (laughs) At one point, (laughs) at one point in the second half, they ran 10 straight pass plays now you mean to tell me that they didn't do that the whole rest of the year and now all of a sudden zach wilson the gunslinger in college at byu gets to throw the ball 10 straight times they score 30 points they get the win and all is well in new york Hmm. so Hmm. come on so give give him a give him a longer leash then and you think he's he's got what it takes give him a chance let him uh be himself and let it rip it that could very well be the case you, you know what it is with the Jets. It, no quarterback can be successful there. They haven't had a guy since we could argue Pennington was competent. He was probably the best thing that they had since Joe Namath. But I'm not convinced regardless. I don't think Zach Wilson has what it takes to weather that New York winter in the press and media of New York. But before we hop into third down, Antonino, Let's join Chris Berman for the Halftime Show. I do want to take a quick moment just to thank our listeners for supporting the podcast. We are now live and active on social media, so if you haven't had the opportunity to follow and give us a like, please do so. You can follow us at at FirstIn30Pod on both Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us firstin 30 We do appreciate the support. If you give us a like, a thumbs up, share it with your other football-loving brethren, that really goes and shows us that, hey, what we're doing is impacting you in some way, that you're enjoying the content, and it gives us even more motivation to continue 
coming here every week doing these recordings and finding more hard-hitting facts that you might not have seen on Sunday. So with that, third and long, what were you thinking? So for this one, this is a no-brainer, man. The the big play, the big talk of the town here over the past 48 hours took place in that Chiefs-Buffalo Bills game where Kadarius Toney lined up offside. He was penalized on what would have been a go-ahead touchdown late in that game. Why don't you break it down for us? What did you see? And then I want to get your take on the penalty if you think it was justified or if you think it was not. So first things first, we all saw it. You saw the screenshot, the still shot with Tony being offsides. Shame on him for probably wearing a size 16 shoe. If he wore a size 12, he probably would have not been offsides, but I digress. I think when Kadarius Tony got out of the huddle, he lines up. This is what receivers do. They go to the spot. They line up. They're supposed to look at the ref and give them a gesture, whether they're on the ball or off the ball. They have to check. They have to check in with the ref. They check in with the ref. In the NFL, there has to be seven players on the line of scrimmage at all at, at any given at all times before the play starts. Um, so in this case, Kadarius Tony lined up four inches, five inches off sides, which he did four times prior that game with no warning for the refs. No warning at hmm. all. And do you know if he checked in at all? He did not check in any of those four times. Hmm. However, this is what made Coach Reed also irate because he says he has a great relationship with the refs. That's why he was upset. They did not warn them at all the whole game, and it came down to one minute left, and then you make that call to decide the whole entire game. Not sure I quite agree with it. What are your thoughts? (laughs) Well, I, I kind of expected you to go there. I kind of expected you to put a lot of the onus on the refs here. So I came prepared, man. Uh, I personally think that, first of all, with the, the, the penalty, it was called prior to what transpired later on in that play. So for you to come out, make that statement that the refs and, and the statement, not only that you made, but Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas city chiefs basically had a resounding response to this penalty by saying, how are you going to interfere with the outcome of this game in that manner? interfering with such a spectacular play in Travis Kelsey's career. So for those of you who did not see it, I will break it down real quick. Chiefs were trailing late, 20-17, late in the fourth quarter. This was the the game-winning drive that they needed to either get in field goal range or score off a touchdown. Mahomes hits a pass deep downfield to Kelsey. He then proceeds to lateral the ball back to Kadarius Toney, who then scores the go-ahead touchdown. While there was a penalty on the play, for offside, Kadarius Tony was lined up offside. But Antonino, the penalty flag was thrown prior to what all of that transpired. Prior to Mahomes hitting Kelsey downfield, prior to Kelsey going ahead and throwing the lateral. So for us to sit here and blame the refs for interfering with a spectacular play, that's that's blasphemy, man. That's a cop out. For me, I thought that Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid and the Chiefs looked like a bunch of frustrated, sore losers. The Chiefs offensively have been not themselves over the past couple weeks, as we've seen. We've seen them lose to the Packers 
unable to put up points. We've seen them lose to the Eagles, thinking that, oh, they have it in them. They're going to be able to go downfield and score the touchdown late in the game, which they haven't been. So there's been obvious glaring issues with their offense this season, especially with the wide receiver core that has been publicized to a higher degree than we're used to. So a lot of negativity has been focused on these Chiefs of late. So what I saw from Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in this play was a lack of accountability, and I saw a lot of frustration vented out towards the refs, which I think is unjustified because if Kadarius Toney lined up onside, that penalty wouldn't have happened. Not to mention, if the Chiefs were performing at a higher level, maybe they wouldn't have been in that situation. So to blame the refs as the scapegoat, as they're always blamed, is just unfair. And I'm kind of tired of it. If you don't like it, don't watch the games. And I hear it from people all the time that are just blaming the refs. Like, I'm not going to watch football because of the refs. Come <laughs> Let's be real. Just just let your team do your thing. Sorry, I was ranting there, Antonino. What do you have to say in return to that? Is this mic on? Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> all I ask here, I'm not saying the call was wrong. I just want the refs to be consistent on how they call each and every game throughout the game. So he was offsides four times prior that game. Did they give him a warning? Did they say anything to him? No. But furthermore, the very next play, Von Miller, the defensive end for the Buffalo Bills, lined up offsides in the neutral zone. They did not call that. The very mm. next play after all this, mm. did not call it. And to all the listeners out there, you probably watched football last night, less than 24 hours ago. The Miami Dolphins were playing, and you had Jalen Waddle lined up in the neutral zone, mm -hmm. not called. So I'm just asking for the refs to be consistent. Now, there's a lot of data out there on how many times they've called offensive offsides this year. They've done it 13 times. That's the most since the year 2000. The next closest was six times in 2022 and six times in 2020. So if they're going to try and make a, um, a point and make an example of the Chiefs, um, I think they just got to be concerned. And that's why Patrick Mahomes was mad at the end. You could see him yelling on the sideline at the ref. He was saying... That's a bunch of shit. call that with one minute left when you haven't called it the whole game and you're going to affect the entire outcome. Um, I just think it's not fair. I know Patrick Mahomes is a competitor. Um, I, I'm not a Chiefs fan. I actually always root against the Chiefs, but he's a competitor and having the refs steal that moment and that game. From ah, him, I feel like the refs pick and choose <laughs> when they call something and when ah. they don't. And uh, also, like you said, it doesn't help. They've lost four of their last six games. So yeah. that's also part of why he was upset. I But but this whole narrative of the refs stealing the game, that it's rigged, I think it's preposterous. Like, it's ridiculous, man. Like, if the Chiefs had been playing better, if their offense had been playing what we were accustomed to a season or two seasons ago, they would probably would be up big in this game or at least have 30 points and have the ability to move downfield. But it just shows the frustration that they're the one play that they get gets called back because of penalty. They're going to put it all on the refs. But but think of it like this too, man. Think of all the traffic violations you have. I'm going away from football here for a second. You you probably speed consistently, right? 
And you might not get caught every time. You might not get caught every time for speeding, yet you will continue to do it. Then you might get caught that one time and you get the ticket for it. But guess what? Then you go right back to speeding. There's inconsistency with it, right? There's inconsistency with the law. There's inconsistency with the rule. There's interpretation for both. So it's not a science, unfortunately. Stuff like this is going to happen. There are going to be inconsistencies when we watch these games. It's just a matter of accepting that that's going to happen. You can't control what the refs are going to see and what they decide to call. What you can control, if you're Kadarius Tony and if you're Andy Reid, coach Kadarius Tony just to line up behind the ball. Coach him to be cognizant, to remember, to check with the ref before he set, sets in his stance. Then this all is avoided. So don't blame the ref because the ref decides to actually call the penalty when it is a penalty. Blame Kadarius Tony, blame Andy Reid, blame coaches for not instilling that logic and that awareness in the players prior to the game, not, not giving, I mean, it's that easy, man. It's that easy. Be disciplined with your craft. Then you avoid the penalty, right? If you don't want to get a speeding ticket, don't speed. It's as simple as that. One more wrinkle I'm going to throw in here is when I was in my lab last night, breaking down film, I saw Creed Humphreys, the center. He's partially to blame too here, okay? So he holds the ball with a watermelon grip when he hikes the ball. It's where you stand the ball up vertically, you're grabbing the nose of it, he stands it up straight. That essentially cuts the ball in half. That cuts the neutral zone in half. So an NFL football, 11.25 inches. If you're lifting that vertically, that's going to cut five, six inches from the neutral zone, which in this case, five, six inches, Tony's foot was five or six inches off. That makes the difference. And he does this consistently. So if they get a touchback, they get the ball at the 25, essentially he's lining up the ball at the 24 and a half and the receivers are going to line up um, off schedule there. So, and one last note here, a parting gift for the Kansas City fans. They might have to play their first ever road playoff game. And I'm just not sure how that's going to turn out. (laughs) Well, if they continue to line up offsides, it might not look too good for them. But interesting stats, good points. Let's go rapid fire here. It's fourth and forever. Time for a Hail Mary, Antonino. Dropping back in the pocket, looking. There's the Hail Mary. Headed for the end zone. And it is caught by a touchdown. By a touchdown. We saw Joe Flacco called off the streets just, what, two, three weeks ago and lead the Browns to a big win versus the Jaguars. This was an elite performance by an elite performer. Tell me what you saw by Flacco, and I'll give you some of my take as well. Joe Flacco, the ageless wonder, signed on November 20th, less than a month ago, got asked to throw the ball yesterday 45 times. Now, how that arm doesn't fall off, I'm not sure, but he threw it for three touchdowns, 311 yards, and notched his 100th win of all time. (laughs) How do you like that? It was pretty cool to see. I mean, he threw a dagger, a 41-yard dagger on an all-out blitz in the fourth quarter to secure that win, too. All three of those touchdowns were over 30 yards, which was pretty impressive to see the 38-year-old still have that cannon and drive to push it downfield, even though near the tail end of his Ravens career, 
he became quite unwatchable because he would not take any shots. He was kind of Mr. Uh, dink and dunk down the field, which ultimately led to him leaving there. But it's interesting with Cleveland too, Anthony. You know, I did see this, that they are the first team since 2015 where the Texans won four games with four different starting quarterbacks. So Cleveland's defense is keeping them in these games. And then Joe Flacco is coming out there with these elite performances. Who knows? Cleveland's riding the mix right now as a wild card team. Two games back from Baltimore, you, you probably wouldn't expect them to catch up to the Ravens at this point, but pretty cool to see Mr. Flacco balling out over there in Cleveland and doing what he's doing for the Browns. Yeah, I think that all they really needed was competent quarterback play, and you had bits and flashes of that with Deshaun Watson, although not that many. Uh, and then they shuffled in a couple other starters, but here we go. Joe Flacco, this could be his last hurrah. If he gets them to the playoffs and wins a playoff game, he could get a statue put up outside the <laughs> Cleveland Brown Stadium, okay? So the last two starts, if you, you threw five touchdowns and two starts and 565 yards, like, I think any NFL team would take that right about now from a production standpoint. Absolutely. And he was Cleveland's only 300-yard passer on the season so far. So pretty impressive by Joe Flacco. With that, Antonino, why don't you end us on a, a high note? positive note tell us what your thoughts are in relation to mr flacco here well you know nick this one really hits home for us here on first and 30 on a show with two 30 something year old guys we must really rise up against the aging process okay don't let the naysayers bring you down all right just like joe flacco you can get yourself off that couch and defy the odds stay mentally and physically sharp okay go and be the best version of you and who knows, you just might raise some eyebrows. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right. We might have uh, found the fountain of youth here. So with that, thank you for joining us for another episode of First and 30. Until next week, remember, when your number is called, no matter the odds, just, just go, go for it. it.